This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In this week's message, we discover what to do when God is preparing us for ministry or for service to Him. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message, Hidden by God. I want to say good morning to everybody, and may we speak blessings to you. May the peace of God rule in your heart. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. I pray that you have enjoyed his mercy, been empowered by his grace, been protected by all of his awesome power. We need to continue to pray constantly, consistently for our nation. As everybody probably know by now that we were, there were 10 people that were killed in a grocery store in Colorado by a man that just went in and started shooting. To this very day, I don't think they know of a motive of why he did what he did. We need to pray. We need to praise God first that he kept and and protected and he didn't allow it to be any worse than what it was. And also that he kept us and protected us through this dilemma. We need to continue to pray for our government, for all of the situations and circumstances that's going on all around the, the nation and all around the world. Note that we're still in a pandemic, even though vaccines are being given, we're still facing deaths every day. Over 500,000 people have died in this nation alone, over 30 million people infected. Even though things have slowed, we are still in the pandemic. And we need to just continue to lift up each other and pray for God to keep us, to touch us, to have mercy upon us, to speak to us, to strengthen and encourage us while we are not coming together, while we are separated from each other. We need to just continue to lift each other up. I tell people all the time, I have a friend of mine that text me one day or he tried to call me and he left a message and he said I just had you on my mind and I told him this I said when you have me on your mind please pray for me because you don't ever know we think that we are thinking when the truth of the matter is it is God that's putting somebody on your heart and he's doing it for a purpose and for a reason Uh, perfect example I was at home this week, and, and uh, I think it might have been Thursday, and I was thinking about some, some family members, and I say family members, when I say family members, I mean uh, a family that I was adopted by. I was thinking about them, and I was thinking about their, one, of their, one of their children, and because this girl started to work at Briggs and Stratton, and she had the same name as one of the children. So I was kind of wondering, could that be <clears throat> their child? 
this, these were the thoughts that were going through my mind. And when I got to work, I hadn't been there very long, and this, this one of the setups on first shift came to me and said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I said, okay. So the favor that she asked of me was that same person that was on my mind at home, she was asking me would I speak to that person because that person was ready to quit and give up. Ready to quit the job, ready to quit life and living. And it's, it, it, it reminded me and, and demonstrated again to me that when people are on your mind and you think that you're thinking about them, the truth is God, for some reason, has put that person's name on your heart. And please, please, no matter who it is, intercede and pray for them because you never know what a person may be going through on a day-to-day -day basis. So God bless all of our family, church family, and keep you and keep you strong. Let me say this as well. Thank you so much for the encouraging words that I get from week to week from, a, from various people. Sometimes it's just words to say I'm checking on you. Sometimes it's words to just say I love you. Sometimes it's words that say the word was a blessing for me today. Thank you so much. By not being able to see the expressions on your face. You know, when, when we're in church and I can actually look at you, I can tell when God is kind of dealing with you. But not being able to see you, I can't tell whether the messages are... I know, I know they're having their effect. I'm not going to say I don't know because God gives them to me and I know that somebody is being reached, touched, and spoken to. But it's always good to hear. Always good to hear from somebody and know. Last week we talked about courage to lead. A couple of points I want to, want to stay in your heart and mind is that leading does not always mean you will have a large following and a large following does not mean you are a great leader. Don't mistake the two. And that, you know, people think that, you know, God was created, that, that, that we have God in our lives for him to work for us and that he is there for our good pleasure when the truth of the matter is he created us, but we try to recreate God to suit our mold, to suit what we desire for him to be, to suit what we want him to be, and we think that he is there for our pleasure. But the scripture tells us in Revelation, that in, in Genesis and Revelation, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, and then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God made us in his image not we making God in ours. And then in Revelations he said, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. We were created for God's pleasure. 
Then we kind of talked about morality does not pass from generation to generation, but wickedness certainly does. Remember Ahab was, a, was the worst of all the kings, but it said his daddy was, was the worst of all the kings before him, and then his son grew worse than him because it said he was worse than all the kings before him. And that it takes courage to lead. It takes courage to step out in front and to, and to be that leader, to be up front. It takes courage to, to teach a class. It takes courage to run a business. It takes courage to manage, to lead, to direct. In whatever way or capacity that you may be leading, it takes courage to do it. And where does that courage come from? It comes from the Almighty God. It comes from the Almighty God. Today we want to talk about hidden by God, hidden by God. And we still want to talk about uh, uh, Elijah. We still want to stay on that subject of Elijah, hidden by God. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. I want you to remember that word, Cherith. From by the book Cherith. And, and, and to me, this is, this is amazing that Elijah, you know, Elijah probably had to do a, a, a double take and, and look twice at, at, and, and say, what? I mean, what, what do you mean, go and hide myself? Can you imagine him feeling that he had just launched his ministry, he had just kicked off his ministry, and now you're saying for me to go hide myself? And all the time that Elijah had been preparing himself for, for ministry, he'd given himself to the study of, of the word. As we can see that he knew Deuteronomy chapter 11 where God talked about the idols and if they worship idols, what would happen that it wouldn't rain. And in James chapter 5, he had committed himself to prayer because he said Elijah was a man with light passions as we are. And he prayed and it didn't rain upon the earth for three and a half years. And he prayed again and it rained that he had given himself to the word. He had given himself to prayer. And now he's, he's ready to launch his ministry. He's ready to go. And God says, go hide yourself. He's hidden by God. And the, and the word cherith actually means to cut off or cut down or winter stream. I want you to remember that. We're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. And, and, and this man, you know, he, he had a passion for the glory of God. He was willing, Elijah was willing to, to pray for it not to rain, even though he knew it would cause him to suffer as well as everybody else. But he would rather for us, them, the people, to suffer now in this life than to suffer in the second life. He was willing to do that. Because why? Because he was concerned about the glory of God. He, he, he was the brightest light in the darkest place at the hardest times. 
He had the courage to walk into the palace of Ahab and speak the word of God to his face. Nobody else has courage to do that. And then God says, go hide yourself. <laughs> I think I would have had a hard time with that because I, I would have been thinking, I, I, I'd have been thinking, man, we getting ready. We are, I, just, I just spoke a word to the king. It has come to pass. Man, it's time for me to preach to the world. This is our hour. Let's start a national tour. Get the maps out. Let's plan and plot this thing. Where are we going to preach this word next? And let's bring the, net, the message of Deuteronomy chapter 11 to the whole nation, to the whole world. Let's let them know. Let, let's show God's people that God said, if you turn to idols, there will be no rain. And let's call the people of God to repentance. Let's get the map out. Let's decide where we're going to start this thing. And, and then God says, go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. And guess what? The Cherith experience comes to every Christian at some point in their journey. Cherith is where God closes the door to the thing you most want to do. And I want to describe this to the place where every person can recognize it. They can see it in their own personal life. And here's, here's what God was doing for Elijah at Cherith and what God will do at Cherith for you. Note again that God hid him. 1 Kings 17.3 says, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. So you got to ask yourself this question. Why did God hide Elijah? Could it, been for, could it have been for, for protection? Maybe. But look what he did. God was able to protect Elijah when he marched, went into, into, into Ahab's palace. Think about that. He's in the king's palace. He's right before the king. He could have, I mean, God had to keep him because the king had men had at his disposal waiting on his command to do whatever he said. If he had said, kill Elijah. So God had to protect him when he was there. And God protected him on Mount Carmel in the presence of all the prophets of Baal. So he didn't need to send him, Elijah, to Cherith to protect him. So why did he send him to Cherith? Was it judgment on the people? Undoubtedly, that was true. Because one way that God judges a nation is that he withdraws his teachers of the word of God. God hires his servants and there is a famine Famine of the word. Think about that. I think in the book of Malachi, when, they, when, when you read Malachi, it actually says that there, have not, there had not been a word from heaven in 400, over 400 years. The prophets had not spoken. God had hidden his prophets from the nation in order to bring forth a famine of the word. You hear nothing from heaven. The heavens had become brass. 
So what is Cherith? Cherith is, is, is a place is a place where God withholds what you wanted most. Cherith is the place where God closes the door on what you wanted to do for him. I've been, I am in Cherith. So Elijah prepares himself for ministry at, at a huge personal cost and then finds that he does not have the opportunity to pursue it. He's a prophet. His whole calling is to bring about the word of God to the people of God. But guess what? There are no people in Cherith. There's no platform for the work he wants to do. No opportunity for him to pursue his calling. And for the next three years, Elijah ministered to a congregation of just two people. One widow and her son. What could this possibly be all about? Some of you, you go to college and train for a particular career, but the doors don't, don't seem to open for you. All this preparation and where's the opportunity? You say, I have the skills, I have the training, but that doesn't seem to be a place I can use them. The door is not open for me. Brothers, sisters, my friend, welcome to Cherith. Welcome to Cherith. Welcome to Cherith. God can take you to Cherith by removing you from a position. God can take you to Cherith through a prolonged sickness that limits what you're able to do. Cherith is, a, is the place where God hides you and holds you back. Hold back what you most want to do. That's where Cherith is. That's what Cherith is. So, you know, everybody knows that, you know, I read a story about a man, you know, when he was a kid, he talked about when he was a little boy, how he went to this church and how the church was, how huge it was and how, the music was so inspirational and how beautiful it was. And he said, when he was a kid, he said, man, I would love to pastor this church. And later on in life, throughout the years, he, he got to the place, he came to the place in the point where this church uh, that he was at, he was pastoring a church, and, and, and the church that he was pastoring, you know, they was, it, the church was growing, it was on the move, and he, the people at the church wanted to exp, wanted to build a new church, and so they asked him. They said, "Hey, you know, will you commit to us for the next five years? Will you commit to stay here for the next five years?" And so he committed to stay for the next five years. And the following day, the following day, he got a call from the people at the church that he said when he was a boy that he wanted to pastor. He got a call from him and, asked, and he was asked, would you consider being, becoming the pastor of our church? Would you consider being put on a list? And he immediately told them no. And they said, man, you know, the, the normal response is that I'll pray about it. He said, I can't pray about it because he said just last night, I made a commitment to these men that I would stay here and pastor this church for the next five years. And he wanted to maintain his integrity. That's Cherith. 
something that you wanted as something that you wanted and now you can't have. Everyone knows about the triumphs of Elijah's ministry on Mount Carmel, but here's the principle. God will take you to Cherith before he ever takes you to Carmel. In other words, God will take you to a place of separation and isolation. And guess what? This is not something that just happened to Elijah. This is something that happens, happens to many people in the Christian faith. And let me say this, though. Let me say this. I've seen it myself. I've seen it in our day. Most people are not willing to stay at Cherith because they, got, they have itching feet. They are ready to go. They're ready to minister. They don't want to wait. They don't want to be at Cherith. Cherith. Remember, Elijah stayed there three years. He stayed at Cherith three years before God brought him out. And from Cherith to Zarephath, where he actually went to the widow's house after being instructed by God to leave. And so it's, it's not something that just happens to a few people. Because if you look back in Scripture, you think about Moses. Moses was called by God in the desert. He was out in the desert and a burning bush was right before him. And he went closer to the bush to see how the, the marvel of it because it was, it was burning but not being consumed. So he went to see it and a voice came out of it and you know the story. And, 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 and God called him to lead the people out. And then we know that God, that, 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 that the following days or in the following days, Moses actually killed, saw two, saw an Egyptian striving with an Israelite, and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And so he, he didn't know that anybody saw him until one day he tried to break up his two Israelites fighting, and they said, will you kill me as you did the Egyptian the other day? And Moses fled and went to the back of the desert, and the Bible says he stayed back there 40 years. I believe that God was teaching him. He was, he was back there tending the sheep. And I believe that God was teaching him not, he was teaching him how to lead. And also he was teaching him not to operate, that he was not going to do this in his own power, nor was he going to do it in his own strength. Joseph went to Cherith. His brothers throwed him in a well, sold him into slavery. He wound up in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife accused him of rape and he wound up in the prison. He was hidden for all of these years. Why? Because God was actually preparing him. He was preparing him. Guess what he was doing? Guess what he said to, to Potiphar's wife, if I'm not mistaken? He said to his wife, he said, everything in my master's house, everything that's done, I am a do. I am the doer of it. In other words, I'm in control of it. He, he even said, my master does not even know what is in his own house because I manage it. What was God doing? God was teaching him and preparing him to be a leader, not only a leader, but a manager. And he did the same thing when he was in the prison. He said everything that the prisoners do it, did, Joseph was the doer of it. He made the determination of what they were going to do. Why? Because God was preparing him to be a leader and also a manager. 
a leader and a manager. Because when he got to Egypt and he was Pharaoh's second in, in command, guess what? He had to manage all of the affairs of Egypt concerning, well, concerning the food. So he was in Cherith for that reason. And then you go to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the Bible says when he was born, you know, God called him, he, and he was, he was in the wilderness. And the Bible said his clothing was locusts, his food was locusts and his clothing was camel's hair. His food was locusts and wild honey and his, and his clothing was camel's hair. Why was John the Baptist in the wilderness? Because he, God was getting ready to take him in another direction. If he had stayed in his father's house, he would have become the next high priest and not the forerunner of God. And God was imparting to him the message that he desired for him to teach. He was taught by God and not by his dad. And he was given boldness, a boldness of the Holy Spirit. If you remember when Mary walked in the house of Elizabeth, that she, the baby leaped in a womb. And the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from that moment on. And so John was given the spirit and a boldness. And he was being prepared for the work that he was going to have to do. David himself was, was, was hidden. He hid in caves and lives in, in, in mountains and, and in the wilderness, in the woods. When after he was anointed king, he was in chariot because God was actually trying to teach him something. God was teaching him something. God was making him a leader, preparing him to be a king. And God was trying to help David not to follow his angry passions, but to follow God. Because David would kill a man without even thinking twice about it. We've seen it in, 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 in Nahab, I think his name was. Nabal. Nabal. We've seen where David asked for some food and, and lodging, and the man refused. And David got mad and was getting ready to go kill him. But his wife came and brought food and, and, and appeased him. God was trying to teach him how to control that passion. Man, and how did he do it? Because there, were, there, was, there was a time when, 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 when the king was in a cave. Saul was in a cave and, and David had the opportunity to kill him. But God said, touch not mine anointed. And Saul wound up dying, falling on his own sword. He was in Cherith. Jesus himself was hidden. He was in Cherith. Jesus was in Cherith. He was driven in the wilderness and he stayed there 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus performed a miracle. He performed a miracle. And he, what did he tell the people when he did some of his miracles? He said, let no man know of this. And when his mother Mary came to him and said, hey, they're out of wine. He said, he said, woman, what do I have to do with thee? He said, my time and my hour has not come. In other words, it's not time for me to begin to work. He was hidden. He was the son of God. He was, the, he was a miracle worker. He was, he, was, he was God in the earth, but he was saying my time is not yet because God had him hidden in Cherith. Why? Because the Bible said he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. He experienced, he couldn't be the great high priest unless he lived as a man. 
And as I said before, nobody wants to go to chariot. Chariot means to cut off or to cut down. Or it means winter stream. And I believe for Elijah, it was a winter stream for him. It was a it was a it was it was it was a stream that probably was frozen and was thawing casually in order for him to have water to last for three years. It was a place, it's a place to cut off. In other words, you cut off. It's a place to cut down. In other words, it brings you down off of your high horse and humbles you before God. It is in Cherith that we don't want to go. It is in Cherith where we don't want to go. God's hidden service, you'll find all through scriptures that in the lives of God's hidden servants. You'll find it all through scriptures. You'll find it all, all of these places. You'll find even Paul was hidden. He was hidden three years in Arabia after his conversion before he became a missionary. And you got to remember, and let me say this again, God hides Elijah at Cherith before his great life contribution at Carmel. So don't count it a strange thing if God hides you. When God chooses to hide you for a time, he's preparing you for a greater purpose. When he chooses to hide you for a time, he's preparing you for a greater purpose. And a lot of times we, we become disgruntled and dissatisfied with the places where we are. We become disgruntled and dissatisfied with the places where we are because we feel like we have more to contribute. We have more that we can do. Man, if only the world could hear me preach. If only the world could hear me preach. If only the world could hear me speak. If only the world could hear me sing. This is critical for new preachers. This is critical when people, when God places you under a ministry and you feel that you have gifts and talents that you want to express, but God puts you in cherith because there's something that you need to learn and there's something that you need to know. There's something that he needs to work out of you. There's something that he's trying to prepare you for. Sometimes it's just simply to teach you humility. I have all of this power and knowledge stored up on the inside of me, but I can't express it because God wants to humble you. That's why he takes you to Cherith, but nobody wants to stay there. Everybody wants to start their own thing, do their own thing. And it's just like Moses, when we try to do our own thing, we wind up killing somebody. We wind up hurting somebody. We actually become dangerous when we do our own thing. It's something to be taught and cherished. So don't be surprised if God hides you. Don't be discouraged, discouraged when he does. We serve a God who hides his servants, and while they are hidden, he works in them so that later and with great power, he may work through them. That's what God is doing. 
but we, we don't understand. So let's look at some, something that God was doing in Cherith. I believe the first thing is, is that God led him while he was in Cherith. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2 and verse 5, it says, The word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. God led him to Cherith, and then God led him out of Cherith. And it'll be the same for us. And as a believer, we can have absolute confidence through our entire life that God is leading us. The Lord is our shepherd. He is our shepherd even at Cherith. Remember this, Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. And God leads you one step at a time. One step at a time. God leads his people one step at a time as we walk in obedience. God does not normally lay out the long-term scenario. When Elijah spoke to Ahab, he had no idea what the next step would be. God made the next step clear as Elijah clear. God made the next step clear as Elijah was faithful in what God had already given him to do. As you take a step of obedience, then God will show you what to do next. And that's the important link between verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 tells us Elijah's steps, Elijah's step of faith and obedience. Then verse 2 tells him what to do next. And that same pattern runs throughout the story, this story. Verse 5 tells us Elijah's obedience. Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Then in verse 8, God tells him what, what to do next. The word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath. Understand that. He'll give it to you one step at a time. And if, when he gives you a step to do, if you do not do what he says, then the next step will not come. It's not going to come. It's not going to be available to you. Because, guess what? The second step is hinged on the obedience of, to, to, to the first step. And the principle God is teaching is the principle of Christian obedience. God is not making your next step clear. Perhaps it could be that you have not finished what he called you to, called you to do already. So we have to move forward with all that God has given us to do right now and then trust him to show us the next step at the right time. That's the principle of Christian obedience. Planning is good. Every leader should have a plan. Every business should have a plan. Every parent should have a plan. Everyone knows what happens to the best laid plans. A gentleman by the name of Robert Burns wrote this, the best laid schemes of mice and men go often away and leave us naught but grief and pain for promised joy. Here's how God puts it in scripture. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his, his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way. There's nothing wrong with that. But when my plans fail, I am to remember that it is the Lord who has established my steps. Every leader wants to lead, but all leaders lead 
on God's timetable. God leads his people, how many? One step at a time. The guidance you need will come as you move in faith and obedience. So let's ask this question. How did God lead Elijah? There's an important difference between the way God led Elijah and the way God leads us. God spoke directly to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him, and I, under, I understand that to mean that God spoke to him with an audible voice. God also spoke in an audible voice at the baptism of Jesus. You are my beloved son at the transfiguration. This is my son, my chosen one. This is how God spoke to the prophets. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. 1 Kings 17, 2 and verse 8. And God could speak in an audible voice to any of us if he chose. But that's not how he normally chooses to work. God does not say, go to this college, take this job, marry this woman, join this church, or pursue this career. You may wish that he did if he spoke to us in an audible voice these things. After all, if you heard an audible voice saying these things, you would know exactly what to do. But don't envy the prophets. Don't say, I wish I had that because God called the prophets to do hardest things at the highest cost. People stoned them for what they did. People cut their heads off for what they did. So don't envy them and think that that's what you want. That's what you, you, you want to do. But God leads us by his spirit. Romans 8, 14. He leads us by his spirit. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to, into our hearts and into our minds. The Holy Spirit gives us direction and wisdom. He allows us to look at a situation and then he gives us wisdom and discernment on how to conduct ourselves and what to do in the midst of that situation. He leads us by his spirit. When God has a particular career in mind for a person, he bestows on that person an interest in that field of expertise. When God plans for two people to marry, he blends their hearts. But God's inclining the heart as opposed to our own self-generated ambitions and longings are experienced only as meshing in with the judgments of wisdom. Thus, interest is an unsuitable in, in an unsuitable person as a life partner or a ministry beyond one's ability should be seen as temptation rather than a divine call. We're called to walk in wisdom. Like the scripture says, like Jesus said, if a man set out to build a house, he needs to do what? Sit down first and count the cost. Lest afterwards people laugh at him and say he started to build and didn't have what, what was necessary to finish. Wisdom. And the wisdom of the Spirit, the wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. There's a still, small voice that we seek to hear. And God uses methods and means. He uses different things to speak to his people. I was, I was, I was watching 
television last week, and I felt like, and I and I had been praying about some situations on the job, and I felt like God spoke to me through those, that television show. He spoke to me through it. He spoke to me through it. He told me some things that I needed to do. And as you follow the Spirit, as you follow how God leads, God will lead you to the place where he needs you to be at the time he needs you to be there. But guess what? We got to obey when he speaks. We got to obey when he speaks to us. We have to obey when he speaks to us. We got to do what he says. What's the next thing that God did for Elijah? God fed him. 1 Kings 17, 4 and, and 6. It says, you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. You know, I thought about that and I said, I said man, look at here. God fed him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. It didn't say he brought him a midday snack. Wow. How mercy God help us to eliminate our midday stack snacks and help us to realize that we can live from bread in the bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. How awesome is that? Anyway, won't get on the diet thing. It was a miracle. And it was only, only comparable to God providing man in the desert. God provided all that Elijah needed. Now, it was a brook and not a river. And the food was not exactly fine dining. But God sustained his servant through the drought. And God will sustain you even at Cherith. What did he say in Matthew 6 and 33? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, a Gentile seek after these things. The Gentiles, the Gentile, the word Gentile means without God. They seek after these things. They pursue these things. You know, and it's a funny thing that, 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 that the birds that flew at the command of God and provided the sustaining food for Elijah were, were ravens. They were actually in the Old Testament considered to be unclean birds. And God gave laws about what his people could eat and what they could not eat in the Old Testament. And ravens were definitely off limits. Raven, ravens, or the raven was described as detestable in Leviticus 11 and 16. It was described as being detestable. It's, a, it's surprising when God chooses to sustain his servant. He chooses to use an unclean bird. God sends life-sustaining food delivered by unclean birds. Think about that. You know, there's a lot of ways we could look at this. There's a lot of ways we could look at this. God could actually send sustaining life to you through an unclean vessel. And, and, and I could also look at it this way as well. God only, the only thing God has to use is unclean vessels. The truth of the matter. 
There's no perfect people on this earth. There's no perfect people on this earth. He, that's all God has to use. That's all, he gotta, that's all he had to use is unclean vessels. You know, think about the people in the, in the New Testament days, some that were saved and, and, and some, that were, some that were led to Christ. Some of them might say, I was led by Peter. But think about Peter. Peter was the one that denied Jesus. And, and some, another may say, you know, I was led by John. Some may say, and, and you may see that person sitting quietly off in a corner somewhere and say, well, well, you know, and, and somebody asks them, who, 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 who led you to Christ? And they said, Judah, Judah. And they, they don't want to say it proudly because Judah was the one that didn't betray Christ. But guess what? Some, some of us could be led to Jesus by unclean vessels that we see, that we assume to be. But guess what? That's all God has to use. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect people. And let me say this to you. Don't fuss at by how God chooses to provide for you while you're in Cherith. Don't complain about how he chooses to provide for you while he has you on hold or in that holding spot. Don't complain about how he chooses to do it. The next thing we need to understand is this, is how God creates genuine faith. You might say, is that possible? That someone can be led to genuine faith by someone who couldn't have it themselves? It's highly possible. It's highly possible. Because what we have to understand is that we're not saved by the, 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 the person themselves. It is the gospel that saves not the person who speaks it. You are saved by the power of the gospel, not by the integrity of the person who speaks it. So don't be surprised that God could actually bring some people to genuine faith. Because you remember, you remember when Jesus, when, when, when one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, he said, Jesus, these, these people are not with us. But Jesus said, anybody that speaks in my name, he said, leave them alone. Let them, let them alone. Let them be. Let them be. They, do, they, they, they still, the word still getting out. They still doing the work of God. And then, and then, and then you think, think about Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus spoke these words. He, he, he said, many will, be, will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Guess what? Those people did the work of God, but not being led by God. They were an unclean bird. They were an unclean bird. And I'm not telling you that it does not take integrity. I'm not saying that integrity does not matter. Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Of course, 
living a lifestyle, a righteous lifestyle, matters. But there are going to be a lot of people that may be saved by people that they seem fall and fail in their own Christian life. There's one man that comes to mind immediately that, that, that preached the gospel and, and then turned and changed the gospel. But get, look at how many people were led to Christ by this person. And un, I, I don't want to say an unclean bird. I pray God the man is still saved. He's still saved. I pray God he is. And we have to be careful that we don't judge what and who God uses. The next thing I want you to understand is this service is not a substitute for holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one enters heaven because of service. Being in ministry can never make you clean. Service is never a substitute for holiness. It is possible to do good for the church and still be a raven. If you are resting on your involvement in ministry for your standing before God, I urge you today to place your life under the blood of Jesus Christ. That alone can make you clean. No one is justified by service. Nobody is justified by going on mission trips or by helping the poor. There's only one way to be made clean before God. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. As you embrace him as your Lord and as your Savior, the blood of Jesus is applied to the humble and to the penitent, not to the self-confident or the self-righteous. It is only through the blood of Jesus. Not works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Don't confuse your works with your holiness. Don't confuse your good works with your righteousness. Don't think that because you do good works that you are righteous. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Don't confuse that, the two. And here's the most important thing that we learn at Cherith. We learn to live on God. We learn to live on God. A phrase from, from John Bunyan is that his chair came when he was thrown into prison. He was a pastor serving the Lord, and he had a family. And it was a time of persecution for believers in England, and Bunyan was seized from his church and from his family and incarcerated in the town of Bedford. God took Bunyan out of public ministry and hid him in prison. And guess what? Out of that came the book Pilgrim's Progress. When he wrote about his cherith experience, he said that he learned to live upon God who is invisible. And these are his words. He said, God has put me in a place where I can no longer live on my work. I can no longer live on my family. I can no longer live on my friends. I can no longer live on my pleasures. I can no longer live on my ministry. I have to live on God who is invisible. And hallelujah. If God is trying to teach us anything, 
the most important thing, the number one thing that God is trying to teach us is to trust him. And I'm going to tell you, that's one of the hardest things it is for us to do. That's where Elijah was in chair. To live on God who is invisible means to find what you need in God when there, is, there isn't anything or anyone else. That's what God does at Cherith. And when you come to the place where God hides you, know this, if you will walk with him in faith and obedience, he will lead you and he will feed you. You will find him faithful at Cherith and you will come out saying, even Cherith was in the purpose of God. Even Cherith, even my holding place, even the place when I couldn't speak, when I was, when I was silenced, was in the purpose of God. And I know some of you right now feel that you are in Cherith, you're in that place where you are so gifted and so talented and you have so many ideas and so many things that you want to accomplish for, for yourself, for your family, for, for your church, for whatever it is that's in your heart, but you feel that you are limited. You spent time to learn, to, to be trained, to be taught, to understand, to know, but it seems as if you can't break the barrier. It's because you're in Cherith, the place of being cut off, the place of being cut down, the place of the winter spring. The winter stream, that's the place where you are. It's the place where God is going to lead you and God is going to feed you and God is going to teach you and God is going to help you to learn to trust him and to rely on him and depend on him. He's going to remove everything that you hold dear, hold near and lean on and, and bring you to a place where you realize it's him that you need. This pandemic is cherished for the church. It's a place where we're isolated from each other. It's a place where we're not gathering on Sunday to be strengthened and encouraged by each other. It's a place and a time where God has isolated us so that we can learn that it's not in a pastor, it's not in a member, it's not in somebody singing. It is in God I have to put my trust. It's not... Hearing from a man is hearing from God. It's not having my emotions, emotions stirred. It's having my soul encouraged and, and, and energized and injected with life from the almighty God. That's what this is all about. And I pray for each of you while you are in cherith, whatever your cherith may be, that place to, that you cut off, cut down, that place where there's only a winter stream. In other words, the water, just enough water melts on a day-to-day -day basis to trickle, to supply you, to take care of you. God help us while we are in Cherith. Let us pray. Lord, how we bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you, Lord God. 
Father, I pray for all of us, all of your people. I ask you to help us to understand where we are, that we are in Cherith. We are in the place where you've cut us off from everything that we trust, rely on, lean on, depend on. And we're in that place so we can learn that you're everything that we need, that you will lead us, that you will feed us, that where God guides, he always provides, that we can trust you in every situation, in every circumstance, that this is the place and the time that you are preparing us for where you're taking us. So, Lord, I just bless you and praise you and thank you and worship you and honor you for working and moving in our lives, even when we don't understand it. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This is for Frank Williams. I will trust in the law.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoy what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.